And there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Almost all of us have heard that story, but who were these mysterious individuals? In the original Greek, the word translated wise men is magi, from which we get words like magic or magician. So, who were they, and what did they do, and where did they come from? Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. If we're going to discover the backstory concerning these wise men that came to Jerusalem at the birth of Jesus, then the best place to go to, the best resource, is the Bible. It's actually only found one time in the Word of God, and that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read that story, and then we're going to break it down. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They should have been rejoicing, but instead they were troubled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, or the more proper word is Messiah, was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So they appear on the pages of history and just as quickly they disappear and leave the clouds of mystery behind them. Who were these wise men and why was it a star that led them to the Messiah. 
I believe part of the reason it was a star was the fact that an ancient prophecy foretold that the Messiah would be like a star that would rise out of Jacob. In fact, it's Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, it's quite a distance in the future yet to come. And then he said, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And a scepter was a symbol of a king's authority. A star, something to illuminate the darkness of the night. That part makes uh, a lot of sense. But the next part might raise your eyebrows. Very curiously, the same word that is translated wise men, which in the Greek is magi, from which we get words like magic and magician, strangely, is also translated sorcerer in the book of Acts. It's found in Acts chapter 13, verses 6, 7, and 8. And this is talking about a false prophet who withstood Paul. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. And again, the Greek word is magi, which is translated wise men in the Matthew chapter 2 account. A false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Bar-Yeshua, which means son of Yeshua, son of Jesus. Very curious. But he was a false prophet who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, that was another name, for this individual, withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind." not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Why would the same word translated wise men in Matthew chapter 2 be translated sorcerer in Acts chapter 13? Because apparently the wise men were the New Agers of their day. They were of that kind of mystical mindset, that kind of occult practice where they were seeking spiritual truths, higher knowledge, hidden wisdom. And like people say today, and it's a mistaken idea, it's not correct, in that day they must have believed that you could access that spiritual world for evil purposes or you could access that spiritual world for righteous purposes and you could have a good witch or a bad witch, a, a white witch or a black witch, a white sorcerer or a black sorcerer. Well, of course the Bible teaches that all witchcraft is wrong. There's no such thing as white witchcraft. But apparently these wise men had a genuine desire 
to know the truth, and they had a sensitivity to supernatural things. And when they saw the star, I believe God knew their hearts, and God knew that they longed for reality. Remember, that was a day when there was very little revelation. There was very little truth being proclaimed in the world. And the conclave of truth was Israel, and they were pretty much self-focused. They weren't trying to evangelize the Gentile world. So these men were seeking ultimate reality, seeking higher knowledge. And apparently they were involved in occult practices, not knowing that they were wrong, but wanting the truth. And they were hungry and thirsty for reality. And God recognized that and God led them. That's why I believe that one of the next great revivals, in fact, I see the wave cresting right now, is going to be multiplied tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of New Agers and people of that kind of mindset that are delving into yoga and Eastern mysticism, coming out of that to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, right before I recorded this uh, this particular podcast, two uh, people from India downloaded my testimony from the truelight.net. And so they're hungry, they're thirsty. They may be involved in certain religious practices and ideas that are not biblical, but they've got a genuine heart and they're looking for truth, just like the wise men in that day two millennia ago. Now they brought gifts. What were the gifts that they brought? gold and frankincense and myrrh. Is there a significance to these gifts? I believe there is on two different levels. First of all, I believe it was symbolically a statement about who this holy child really was, because gold is associated with divinity. Gold is associated with kingship and royalty. Frankincense, on the other hand, is associated with priesthood and prayer. And myrrh, well, that was a a certain type of uh, ingredient used in the embalming of the dead. And so it speaks of sacrifice, dying to self. And so these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were in a sense prophetic statements that this child would be a king, the king of kings, a priest, the great high priest who intercedes for us, and the sacrificial lamb. I also believe it could mean that we need to offer him our lives. We need to offer him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We need to develop the gold of the divine nature as an offering of worship to him. We need to live lives of priestly praise and worship. David said, let my prayer ascend before him like incense, And also, we need to be sacrificial individuals. We need to present our bodies a living sacrifice on the altar. Kings, priests, and sacrificial lambs, just like he was. So that's the hidden meaning of the gifts. And because there were three different kinds of gifts, I think people jumped to the assumption that there were only three wise men. But the Bible never said there were just three. It just said wise men came from the East. It could have been many more than that. Now, most Western denominations uh, 
claim that there were three, but some Eastern Christian denominations number them much higher, even up to about 12. Well, it could have been 40 or 50 for all we know. It could have been a huge group that came. So that's false assumption number one, that there were only three, or at least it could be true, but it was based on an assumption that might be false. Why do many believe that they were kings? Because the passage I just read to you said nothing about them being royal. It said nothing about them being kings. Where do you get that? Well, first of all, it comes from a song, a popular Christmas song that many of us, I'm sure, are quite familiar with. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, and I won't go into the rest of the song. But because that's in our psyche, we jump to the conclusion there were three kings, but the Bible never said that. However, that Christmas carol by John Henry Hopkins that was written in 1857 has been accepted as biblical truth. I wonder how often that happens, where we just accept traditions without questioning them and going deeper. But there's actually a reason, two reasons, that the wise men were believed to be kings, and both of them involve prophecies of the Old Testament. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 60 first, verses 1 through 6. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture that I've quoted quite often, and many Bible interpretators uh, liken or use this passage of Scripture in a messianic sense. They apply it to the Messiah. Listen to it closely. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now the prophecy is being spoken to Jerusalem. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. When did that happen? Of course, it happened at the birth of Jesus. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now listen to verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. There it is, kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far. Let me jump down to verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. Listen now. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Gold and incense, two of the three gifts that were given to him. And it says, kings will come to the brightness of your rising. That's Isaiah chapter 60, and the main verses are 3 and 6. That's not all. Psalm 72 is the final prayer of David. And in that prayer, he gives many messianic prophetic statements. Starting with verse 1, he says, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. Now that's referring, of course, to the son of God. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. 
a messianic prophecy. And then in verse 10, it says, the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Remember when the wise men came in where Jesus was, they fell in worship before him. It's strange to me that those who were not born again, who did not know the full plan of salvation yet, who had no idea what was going to happen with regard to the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, were still so overwhelmed by the power of the presence of God that radiated from this child that they felt compelled to fall before him in worship to prostrate themselves in passionate adoration. If they did, we should. We should. Well, those are the main passages of Scripture that people think prove that the wise men were kings. I don't believe that's sufficient proof, but it does make you think that could be a possibility. Now, exactly when did the wise men come to honor the babe? the Christ child. All your manger scenes have them right there. The camels kneeling down, the kings with their gifts. Is this another false assumption? I believe it is. Because Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says, when they had come into the house, not into a manger scene, not into a stable, but when they had come into the house, they saw the child would marry his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came into a house. So that must have been later on. And apparently, and the scripture I'm going to share with you next proves this to a certain degree, Joseph and Mary lived in Bethlehem for a season. And that would make sense because it would have taken 40 days for her to reach that point of purification that every Jewish woman had to participate in after the birth of a son. The days of her purification were ended after 40 days, and that's when they would bring the child to be dedicated at the temple. So uh, it would have made sense for them to get some kind of quarters, some kind of house to live in in Bethlehem. And it said, verse 12, after they came into the house and worshipped him, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring word to you. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. How strange. They were exceedingly joyful when they found Jesus and Herod, who claimed to be one of the offspring of Abraham, was exceedingly angry. 
and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. Listen now. According to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah lamentation and weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And Rachel, being one of the matriarchs of the Israelite nation, is applied to the whole nation symbolically here. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Verse 23 of chapter 2 of Matthew. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So, evidently, the Holy Family lived in Bethlehem for a season until they fled to Egypt, and then from Egypt they went to Nazareth. And they were in a house when the wise men came to them. And according to Herod's inquiry, it seemed that any child that was any male child that was two years old or younger might be the one that was born king of the Jews. And so Herod was figuring out the timeline from the time the Magi left their homeland until the time they arrived. Well, it may have been when the child was one or two years old, not at the scene of his birth. Think about that. Could the wise men have been from Babylon? Could the wise men have been from Babylon? I believe they were because Daniel chapter 2 and 4 and 5 prove that Daniel must have been highly respected among the sages and the astrologers and the magi or the wise men that uh, were counseling Nebuchadnezzar over different things that he needed spiritual interpretations concerning. In fact, he had two dreams that he needed an interpretation to, and only Daniel could supply the correct interpretation. And one time, it rescued all the wise men in the court from being killed by furious Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel interceded in their behalf. So they must have felt not only a gratitude to Daniel, but a respect for what he had to say. And certainly when God exalted him to that position of influence, he must have shared with them about the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and many of the ancient prophecies concerning a Messiah to come, including the one I read at the beginning about how a star would rise out of Jacob. So maybe that's why the Magi, when they saw the star, thought, mm, this is it. This is what Daniel talked about. And some of the ancient writers tended to place the homeland of the wise men there in that region. It makes sense. 
And it would have taken about three to four months for the wise men to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And so it's about, oh, I don't know, about 1,300, 1,400 kilometers. It's a long distance, and it would have taken them at least three or four months. So that fits in with the whole story. Now, I'm going to end this by very quickly telling you eight things that made the wise men wise that we should apply to our own lives. They were wise men because they were willing to do certain things, believe certain things, act on certain things that should speak volumes to our heart. So I'm going to just share these eight things with you. Number one, the wise men were wise because they respected anointed spiritual voices from the past. Number two, being magi, they sought for higher truths and spiritual revelation to live by. They weren't satisfied with just carnal, natural lives. Number three, they were willing to make great sacrifices to connect with their, uh, to connect to the supernatural, and to connect to a fulfillment of the longing they had in their hearts. And number four, they were sensitive to the supernatural signs that they received. Many times we get signs from God, and we're oblivious to it. We should be putting out sensors all the time, asking for divine guidance. Number five, they were tenacious and determined even when they temporarily lost their way. Remember, the star disappeared for a season, and that's when they went and talked to Herod, and then it reappeared. They didn't give up. And sometimes the star quits shining in our lives, but we have to be tenacious and not give up. Number six, they knew the value of giving lavishly to something greater than themselves. That speaks to my heart. Do we just give a meager amount of our life, our time, our efforts, our faith, our longing, our prayerfulness to God, or do we lavish our lives on him as a sacrifice poured out at his feet? Number seven, they were willing to alter prearranged plans because of divine guidance. Too often we have a certain plan in place and we stick to it no matter what. But they got a dream from God and knew they had uh, guidance from the angel to go a different direction. And number eight, amazingly, amazingly, they were more knowledgeable and wise and sensible and sensitive to God and the incredible visitation that took place when God came to earth in a human form, then the people that should have been sensitive to it, the religious people that were oblivious to this incredible visitation, even though they had all the prophecies and all the teaching for hundreds of years about the Messiah coming, when it actually happened, it was something they were completely blind and deaf to. And these strangers, these Gentiles, that should not have been so responsive were the ones that loved him and worshiped him and adored him. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes religious people get very stiff and starchy and rigid in their religion, satisfied. And I tell people, when you get satisfied, you're close to being petrified, religiously speaking. And sometimes people that have been searching, 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 I did 
for month after month after month, I sought after God through yoga, meditation, reading every imaginable kind of scriptural uh, resource that I could get my hands on that was claiming to be or its followers claimed it was a holy book. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I spent 14 hours a day trying to find God through meditation and yoga and chanting mantras and all the things that was supposed to elevate you to a higher consciousness. Given the opportunity to accept Jesus, I jumped at it. Where other people that have grown up knowing about it are kind of cold and indifferent sometimes. That's a real tragedy. And we can learn to be wise like the wise men if we learn the lessons they have to share. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.